Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Grad Chat, where Phelan and I talk pretty much every week now with somebody who is going through academia, has been through academia, and can just talk to the experiences of graduate students. Um, and we really try to focus on those conversations that really need to be had more. Uh, maybe they're taboo in some way. Maybe they're just things that we assume are normal and or we assume we're kind of alone in. Regardless, thank you all for showing up. If you're live, super excited for your questions. If you're here later, awesome. Drop them in the chat uh, or send them to our social media accounts. Both Faye and my social media are linked underneath of us. Uh, but we're going to jump right in and I'm going to have Faye introduce our awesome guest today. Welcome to Grad Chat, everyone. So today we're gonna to be talking about living in another country. And we're really excited to have our guest today, Golson Demirazan, who was born and raised in Turkey. And she's currently a mechanical engineering PhD candidate at the Center for Sustainable Energy Systems at Ryerson University in Toronto, Canada. So we're really excited because we're gonna talk about Golson's journey moving to moving to Canada on her own to pursue her, her studies. So Suzanne, you want to just jump right into it and get to some of these questions? Yeah, I mean, we got some really great questions this week, which is awesome. And um, yeah, we just, we have to jump in. Okay, so first of all, uh, we got this question of how did you choose where to go? Like, why, why Canada? And you know, why did you choose to move to Canada alone? Was this something that was spur of the moment or did this take a lot of kind of thinking? Um, firstly, hi everyone. I'm Gusen and thank you for guesting me today. Um, so when I decided moving abroad, I didn't have a lot of options to be honest with you. So uh, when I finished my master's, my country, home country, was going through some kind of economical difficulties and they had to uh, hold on lots of scholarships and they couldn't um, fund the students, etc. And then I have tried, actually I have tried giving it a shot because my GPA wasn't the highest. So I was hearing lots of um, stories about my friends from the United States. Often they were uh, having uh, one way of visas uh, for international people. So the one way visa is like, you can go to the United States, for example, but you cannot go back to your country. Otherwise you are not allowed to revisit the United States. So I was kind of a little bit scared of, uh, I think, going to United States. And then back in the time, Canada was being advertised like this awesome country with lots of great, kind and nice people, I think. So I've decided, okay, if I think it's the common trend in my country to go abroad for PhD studies, especially if you want to pursue your career in academia, even if you are back to your country afterwards, they will hire you better if you have a, a PhD from the United States or Canada, or let's say um, a, from a European country, because I think they believe your English would be better because some universities, uh, their medium is in English in Turkey as well. 
So my motivation was, I think, moving to Canada was, I think, yeah, I decided not to move to the United States and then I didn't have any options. And by moving on my own, I, I think it was really a difficult uh, decision. I'm not going to lie. And because, you know, you, uh, as I also mentioned in my Instagram stories yesterday, you just pack your whole life in two suitcases and then you don't have your friends, you don't have your family, you have to start from zero, nobody knows you, nobody would help you in the beginning because they don't know you and you don't know anybody. So it was a difficult uh, decision, but I think I thought that um, maybe I should grow out by facing with some challenges. And also I used to live in Sweden by myself for one year. And um, also I moved out uh, from my parents' house when I was around 17 to study for university education. And that was also, uh, I was um, born and raised in a small town and then I I had to move to Istanbul, which is like, there are 20 million people. It's like almost like Canada. So it was also a different world. So I guess I was kind of experienced. So now that I go back and think about my decision of moving to Canada, I kind of find it uh, like it's such a, it was such a crazy decision. But at the same time, I think I get my energy and encouragement from my previous experiences kind of yeah wow yeah that's that's quite just like it's so interesting how your earlier life experience has has prepared you for this in some ways um and then in other ways i mean this is i mean how how often do you get to see your family now yeah, it's a very actually sad situation. I mean, obviously due to COVID, uh, that's more, I think <laughs> that's difficult right now. But uh, if we considered we were not going through a pandemic, I, mm, as often as I could see them one twice a year, that was like, I think the best, but I would say once a year, maybe, yeah. Yeah. No, I think I I really love these grad chats because we get to talk about some of the more human experiences of doing a PhD, like moving to another country and some of the struggles and vulnerabilities that you've described, Golson, that come with that. And I think even in the questions that we got uh, before our chat, a lot of people are asking about what that transition was like. And If we were to jump in, I think one of these um, questions we have listed here is, what is it like having to do science in a place in a second or third language? And a follow-up is, do you get used to it after a while? So getting back at this this challenge of transitioning and also transitioning when it's a new language. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a great question. Thank you for asking uh, whoever asked the question. So um, actually, to be honest with you, I didn't have uh, a good English education when I was in high school or middle school because I was going to public school and our teachers didn't know English. (laughs) And then I went to university and um, in the university, the medium of education was in English. So one year uh, before we start our formal education, we are given a preparatory year. 
which is at the university. You start at nine o'clock until four o'clock, I believe. Uh, you learn English, like full-time English education. So they put you in an exam before you start so that, you know, some people would obviously know English or very minority, I guess, in Turkey. But then uh, based on our, I think, degree, we, we have this one year of uh, English learning uh, so that's why I'm uh, experienced in English uh, as I learned it uh, at the university uh, back home I mean in Turkey and then in my master's again uh, it was in English so uh, it was not a problem but um, when I moved to Canada everything has changed because people use different real English that because <laughs> often uh, you know in in Turkey or I lived in Sweden obviously most of the people were not native in the language so they spoke like me or they had also errors etc so when I moved to Canada in the beginning I was kind of uh, having difficulties for example Water, the, uh, I would have to learn to say water because when I say water, uh, they would uh, not get it, uh, for example, in a restaurant. Or I couldn't say, for example, patio because I thought it was patio because I thought it's like ratio, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought of that, but you're 100% yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so obviously it was difficult, but I think uh, it's my fourth year now in Canada. So by the time I kind of uh, get used to it, yes, using a second language is you have to switch your mind and also you have to switch your behaviors because I read a study because I think our characters change by the language we use as well that's scientifically true for example if I make a joke in my home language and if I translate it to English probably it's not funny for you so like uh, that's why uh, the same goes sometimes for English as well so some uh, I I do this like that. So when I'm talking in my language, it's another box in my mind. And then I switch to English and then <laughs> I use it like that. So it requires time to get used to, but I think that's what, uh, that's how I got you, get used to um, talking in English as a second language. Uh, I think if you use it a lot, sometimes I find myself thinking in English, etc. It's it's it becomes a part of your daily life. So then you kind of like stop using your own language, you know. Yeah. You know, no, I love how you're bringing into this discussion where we're, we're talking about a second language. I think, as someone who grew up speaking English, there's a lot of experiences that you don't really think twice about, for example, you mentioned patio, patio <laughs> versus ratio. And it, it is such a different experience when you are learning it as a second language. And there's so many complexities, you know, it's not just about the language itself, but also differences in culture and you know, how we say words. And I, I love how you're bringing in that experience as well, because I think it's something that as a person growing up speaking English it's very it's it's a different perspective that I also didn't think about we have a let's see we have a follow-up question about about speaking English as a second language it says do you think imposter syndrome is hard to deal with when you are somewhere you don't speak your first language um that's an uh, again I think um it's a great question um 
To be honest with you, if you're in engineering and if you're a woman, uh, no matter where you are, like for example, consider I am not in Canada right now, but let's say I'm in Turkey. I think by default, you would have this imposter syndrome as a woman because I think um, I don't have this huge self-esteem that most of the guys have, for example, in my lab. So uh, I think the language uh, isn't a barrier if you know how to use the language, if you get used to it. Obviously, in my first year, I have had lots of challenges. I had to change my supervisor, for example, etc. And I think uh, in these parts, if I knew the system, not the language, I think I would deal with the imposter syndrome or any other syndrome, so you could name it better. But now I think it's not a problem. Yeah, I think it's it's all about the time. You get used to it, I guess, yeah. That's really interesting, that kind of like overlap of, of difficulties, right? There's, you've got the location move, you've got being a woman in a predominantly men run space um and i'm actually going to jump down we'll come back to the the moving to a different country but just because this follows up so well um this question did you find it difficult to get used to being the only woman in a lab and is it still difficult when did when did this start (laughs) uh so um yeah in our lab has lots of male students. Oh, it's a big lab, so I, I don't know the exact number, but like there are like 10, et cetera, of them. I kind of, yes, it is difficult and it's, I think it will be difficult until I graduate or if my professor finds a, 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 a female student. Um, yeah, it's difficult by all means, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Yes, it's difficult. Do you think that's kind of, do you get used to it or is it just something that, you know, is this something that keeps coming back up for you? Um, I was lucky I was in biology and it's more and more women in that field, but I know engineering sciences are, are still pretty far behind on that gender gap. Yeah, I was, uh, I was quite, sho- quite shocked to see that gap was bigger than my own country, which is like, I think it gets lots of critics about. Uh, gender inequalities, but I was shocked about uh, my experience in Canada, and uh, I hear similar stories in North America. So um, the difficulty is that I think sometimes I have to be one of the bros in the lab, like they are kind of like asking for advices about like their own personal things, or I sometimes have to I don't know, I don't get uh, very personal because we kind of couldn't get very close. I think that's because of their, I think, personality or like their experiences. And by my chance, uh, the boys are also older, way too older than me. For example, there is another PhD student. He is 10 years older than me and he has like three kids and stuff. So we have like, we are in different worlds. So it's hard to start up a conversation because also I think they don't like talking to girls. So, I mean, yeah, it's difficult. I think it's based on like the people. I could have lots of fun with all boys only love, you know, all boys only love. I think it depends on the people. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that's a really, I've, I've worked in one of the labs I've worked in was probably 90% men. It was a fairly large lab and it really had to do with the personalities, but yeah. there were certainly when, when personalities changed, when people came in or out of the lab, even if it was the same gender skew, it was a very different situation. Um, Okay, like I promised, going back to the, uh, you know, going into another country, being an international student, this still just blows me away. Um, all of all of the just extra hoops that you have to jump through. Grad school is hard enough. Uh, one of the questions was, did your university help you with visa or relocation costs? Um, so did you get anything for being an international student coming all of this way to, to go to a university in Toronto? So um, thank you for this question. I think uh, the system uh, is pretty, if I compare North America, American countries, sorry for doing that, but we have only one neighbor, which is the United States. So that's why, uh, yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different than the United States. Uh, so when I applied for my visa, I had my offer letter that was my four years of scholarship. So I didn't have, uh, to be honest, uh, if that's the uh, motivation of these questions, obviously. Uh, I didn't have extra money in my packet uh, to apply for the visa. Uh, the, this offer letter was enough uh, to apply. And uh, the visa um, was not that expensive that time. Uh, I mean, four years ago. Because um, I, I might be wrong with the exact numbers, but suppose like one Canadian dollar was like two Turkish lira or something that time. But now after four years, it's one Canadian dollar is five point something Turkish lira. So it changed a lot. But like that time, I think it was kind of bearable to apply. And no, they did not uh, give me money to apply for visa. But obviously they uh, have started paying me after I have received my visa, after I have arrived. Because I believe they wouldn't pay for visa because they might have rejected my visa as well. Like I was lucky, but some students get rejected, you know, it's not 100% sure. So they want to see you in person in Canada to pay you, which is fair, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky challenge. I mean, I yeah. know that it's a conversation that comes up even with people who are in the US moving to a different state or, or things like mm -hmm. that. I know that with, you know, with my, grad school, I had to move from Iowa down to North Carolina, which is like a thousand miles or so and totally relocate and you don't get paid until after the first month. And so yeah. it really assumes that you have enough money to live for at least a month, if not two and pay for two months of rent and, and all of these different pieces. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, you've really invested a lot by the time you get to grad school. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, agree I think a big layer to the complexity of living in another country is also the logistics and if it's figuring out the bureaucracy when it comes to visas or I think uh last was it last week or two weeks ago we had Thiago on here who yeah. was talking about his experience as an international student uh coming to the U.S. and he did this fantastic thing where he showed the differences between the different visas and really how there might be different jargon or complexities that if you're not an international student, you don't really think about. So I think it's, it's really a great conversation to have to talk about these difficult logistics. 
as well and how it can differ between you know different people and in, in their journey yeah absolutely so i would like to add this for example uh when you get your visa it's not the end of the process for example my visa is expiring in this september and also my study permit is expiring so i have applied in april the 4th to extend my study permit and work permit and i'm still waiting so it makes a lot of months it's i mean you give your passport to them to process as well mm. so that means I cannot leave the country. It's been, I mean, I, not that I'm, I can travel right now, but it's kind of still, you know, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. And one of the questions that's coming in from Denise says, uh, what can be improved for PhD students that are coming from other cultures, you know, looking at the situation, um, whether it's that financial support or, or that understanding about family, what do you, what do you wish these systems were knowing and maybe doing differently? Um, so is it for international students specific question? Yeah, um, I think so. Um, yeah. So yeah, I had some earlier questions about studying a PhD in Canada specifically, but yeah, mostly for international students. Yeah, uh, thank you for the question. Uh, I think there are too many things to be improved. So <laughs> I will just name uh, the things that I could think of. So for example, the stipends that we are paid to are ridiculous and it's very low. I mean, by saying ridiculous, it's not ridiculously high. It's low <laughs> for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I have mentioned this in other in my Instagram stories yesterday as well. And I have brought it up in a chat with, I think, Associate Dean, like she hosted a grad coffee kind of coffee break kind of conversation for like 40 or more students were there. And then the answer that I have received was like, oh, we were paid very little as well. So you have to wait uh, uh, until you graduate and then you see how much you paid and that's not the answer so what can be improved is that I think the health insurances um, it's just it covers you basically I'm sorry to be negative but if you die you know it's not it doesn't cover if you are really sick or something uh, health obviously mental health um stipends maybe could be given in advance maybe when they arrive to country i understand they cannot do it before <laughs> but uh also uh i think yeah supporting the students because as faye has mentioned uh i think it's it's challenging to uh transition to a new country and then you also find all these problems all at once it's it's really it has negative impact on our mental health and um i think those are not discussed so i think to begin with for example i am in the um uh, department's council or something so i so, uh, from time to time they invite me the all the professors they have a meeting from time to time and i can listen to those and uh all they discuss about is, uh, you know, let's approve this course to be offered in full term. Should we change the name of the course to this to that? But like, even in this particular pandemic, none of them has been thinking about, do we have enough concealers for graduate students? Is, uh, or do we have enough 
uh, healthcare um, opportunities. You know, I might get COVID-19 and I don't even know what I should be doing. So they were never discussed. Um, I mean, financially, uh, as I mentioned, it's always they have excuse for finances, but uh, especially for mental health and physical health. I think even starting up a conversation, especially in within the department could be a solution, but I think their main priority is to have students to offer courses and to run the university, which is making me really sad. So I think my answer to sum up uh, would be, uh, maybe they can start having conversations about these important facts, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I think, Faye, and you can speak to this more than I can, but Faye, you've been involved in a lot of discussions with your university and, you know, to, to varying degrees of uh, enjoyment, the lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad we're also talking about how sometimes the systems aren't set up to support everyone's different needs. And, you know, we're talking about all of these challenges when it comes to living in another country and and Golson I also like how you brought up that you know there's like there's difficulty in like doing doing the move and then you get here and there are other challenges of being in the system that still may not provide the support that you're looking for and I think it speaks to another message that we've also talked about in previous grad chats is how can we still thrive in systems that may not provide the support that we need, unfortunately, and you know that's that's frustrating. But how do we navigate that complexity as well? And I think in in my conversations, where if it's with maybe faculty at my campus, it's it also depends on the person. If they are a supporter, they're willing to put an energy to advocate for the needs that you've described. I've had great conversations, and I've also had conversations where either I was ignored or they didn't really lead to anything productive or it led to backlash, um, which, which just speaks to how challenging, again, this challenge of being in an environment that may not fully support the needs that you're looking for. And I think it's important to find allies and because there are people who will support you and it might take a little energy to find, but I, I do wanna say that they're there and maybe Golson you can also speak more about uh you know finding allies when it comes to living in another country but yeah no that's I think that's a really important message that we how do we still live in a system that can be frustrating and not support us yeah absolutely there's a, a great question here from Phil uh, who says, uh, hi, Golson, did you ever feel excluded by your peers, uh, misunderstood or discriminated against because of your accent, culture, birthplace? Um, you know, kind of speaking to what Faye was just saying about finding allies, how did, how did you make friends? You know, how, how did your interaction with, <laughs> yeah. with people? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is yes <laughs> to all of it. Accent, uh, birthplace and uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, as I've mentioned, I had to change my uh, labs and uh, 
I'll start my experiences from my second lab. So I kind of don't want to discuss the first part. It was not the best experience. But anyway, so um, yes, uh, in my, uh, on my first day in my uh, new lab, let's say not new anymore, but like my current lab, I met with uh, uh, this new, uh, another PhD student and he was relatively older than me and uh, after uh, hearing that I speak, the first question he has asked me was, where are you from? Which is fine because, you know, people get curious. Obviously, I speak different than you and I maybe look different as well. So I understand people ask it and I think uh, there is no shame to say where I'm from. And um, so and then the second question and the third questions are always um, it's they I don't find them appropriate when you are not friends with you know uh, in the first place. So the second question he has asked me was uh, if I ate pork, and it's kind of uh, I think the reason why he was trying to ask this question was that because my country is mainly Muslim dominated and Muslims and Jews, they don't eat pork. So uh, I think he was trying to ask my religion. And um, so uh, for accent, uh, there was like uh, another girl that time. And uh, so she was um, mainly friends with uh, another uh, guy in the lab and another lab mate of mine who is an international too he was like guys like you guys don't even say hi to us what is up and then they were like you guys have an accent so it's it's difficult to have a conversation with you so that was like obviously that's like <laughs> kind of high school bullying movies <laughs> you know and then obviously some people don't want to talk uh, to you and um Discrimination, obviously, I have faced with discrimination uh, many times, and I'm not surprised about it. For example, it's be, it was difficult at the first place for me to find a housing for myself when I first moved in, because whenever I, they realized that I'm an international person, uh, they were kind of curious if I would be able to pay my rent properly, or if I would be a safe person for them not to like bomb their house or something, you know, it was kind of difficult to find uh, housing. It's kind of discrimination as well. And also um, a guy in my lab who is not in the lab anymore, but he literally didn't like me and he was talking like, I hate this girl and like, she is like, weird and like I don't want to work with her she is smelly and these kind of things you know <laughs> it was horrible like I've never had such kind of things before and uh and the the thing is those people who discriminated me were also some of them were international people or some of them were born and raised here but they were it's not 100 percent they were not all the time white people so um so when i spoken to these experiences of mine with my supervisor often he didn't want to consider it as a big problem and he will he kind of tried to solve it easily i understand that perspective but he has found me as, as a sensitive person 
I think that was also a discrimination, kind of gender-based discrimination, I believe, because like, you know, women are like sensitive kind of <laughs> mm -hmm. stereotypes. And or like I often hear like you have a Mediterranean temper. I don't even know what that means. Or like I often been uh, put in like these Middle Eastern labels often. So uh, how did I find allies? How did I make friends? Obviously, it's also difficult, but I uh, live uh, in shared houses generally. So that's one of the way of making friends for international people. Or sometimes you just find your international friends, you know, uh, uh, in grads, for example, seminars, etc. Like, you know, you can say hi to the person sitting next to you or so like, there are WhatsApp groups, Facebook groups, and this kind of social media, Twitter, etc. So I have made friends uh, in those ways. I have found allies at the university who had a very difficult battle with discrimination too. It was a, a domestic student, actually. She has graduated at the moment, but she is still trying to battle with uh, the problems that university caused, yeah. Well, that's awesome. But I mean, I, it's great that you found friends who can be supportive in just the ways that you've talked about. I'm, I'm watching the chat and people are just like furious for you. <laughs> they're, they're hearing the, the different <laughs> things that people have said and they're like, oh gosh, if somebody had said that to an international student around me, I would just be furious. And I, I really appreciate that you're willing to come on here and tell us about these things because like a lot of us don't hear these things, right? Yeah, they don't tend to, uh, they kind of, yeah, hide it. I mean, not you obviously, but the authorities, like, it's not like, it's not my first time I'm sharing those. Obviously, I went to like, you know, uh, uh, the necessary places, but did they do something? No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I just want to echo what Susanna said that it, it's so important to have these conversations about some of the more discriminatory or microaggressions or, or really raise awareness of these gross things that happen. Uh, in addition to the struggles of science, this other aspect of discrimination that is really toxic yeah. for for the people working in science and it's we don't talk about that enough. And I, I think it is just so important to, to open that door. And I know we are uh, getting close to wrapping up the grad chat, but I do, there, there's just so many things to talk about, but I, I do want to get to these <laughs> uh, next, next two questions that we have here. I, I really wish we could talk forever but these next <laughs> these next two questions say what would you do differently if you had to relive the relocation what advice would you give to others and it also says what do you miss most about home okay uh those are great questions and i also sometimes get to ask these questions to myself <laughs> so um i would uh, i think I would suggest, or I mean, I'm not obviously somebody, <laughs> but my own, based on my personal experiences, uh, I would be more patient with myself and uh, everything that would be happening around me. For example, um, at the first place, as we've been discussing now in the past 40 minutes, uh, it's, it's a challenging ride. 
So uh, what I would do uh, different would be I would be more patient with my myself, with myself, and I would just do my own thing, study hard, and leave it, leave the rest. I guess you know uh, because I think at the end. Um, knowing the fact that I'm going to graduate my one day is my main motivation. So I would just, yeah, as I said, I wouldn't be very sad about all of these experiences if I, if it was me again, <laughs> going to four years ago, you know, I would be, I think, reacting less. And what, I, what do I uh, miss the most is uh, I miss the people some people it's easy to find whatever food some people might miss food but toronto is uh, i think very diverse city so you can find uh, food or anything that's like you would miss so i miss the people of my country because i think we are very sharing and caring and sometimes it's stepping on the boundaries but even I miss that uh, so I miss the people obviously my family my sister yeah that's what I miss the most awesome yeah so let's see we are getting close to the end of the grad trip but Golson if there's any other last topics that you want to touch upon before we we sign off for today you know let us let us know if there's anything else you want to um, Yeah, so shortly, discuss. I think people were kind of uh, finding this experience of mine kind of radical uh, as a radical decision, maybe it's kind of sounds like crazy. So uh, I just want to say, if you are in the middle of deciding something similar, um, you can always try. And if you feel like this is not for you, you don't have to stick to, you know, living in Canada or the United States. Obviously, I am assuming you have a country to go back to, you know. Uh, so uh, just give it a shot. There are friends of mine who quitted their PhDs or masters or whatever their jobs. And they have found different countries or they are back home. So like you can be happy anywhere. Just give it a shot. There is nothing wrong with quitting, you know. So try and then quit if you don't like it. I mean, <laughs> it's, I think we are young, you know, uh, it's, it's easy to, I think, uh, change our minds at these ages. Obviously, if we are 60, that would be different. Sorry for 60 year old people, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a really great point of, of, and also just that introspection that you've shared this whole way through of being like, this is a bad environment or I need to tell somebody or this is not working for me. Um, I think that's a really big piece and, and being able to understand that. Um, your handle is right underneath your name. Are you comfortable with people reaching out to you and, and asking? Yeah, for questions? sure. Yeah, they can just uh, text me through Twitter or like they can find my Google Scholar as well. If you are curious about my research, because yeah. I didn't want to make people bored about my research if they are not in my area. So I've never mentioned, but I am actually a PhD candidate who is about to graduate. So you can check my research on Google Scholar. Just write my name. I think there is only me with this name and surname. So <laughs> <laughs> it will be easy to find out. <laughs> well, you will definitely have to let us know when you do graduate because sure. people want yeah. to celebrate. Uh, well, thank you so much again for coming oh, on yeah. and sharing everything. It's been really cool to have you. Thank you so much. 
You're super welcome. Everyone else watching, thanks for chatting. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you know other people we need to talk to, let us know. As per usual, do the like, subscribe thing. It helps our visibility and helps other people find all these things that we're talking about. So thank you for the unending support to all of this.